Like a lot of churches in the book of Revelation, Pergamum was doing some things well, but they were compromising. And their specific area of compromise was doctrine, but doctrine that had a connection with sexual immorality or sexual compromise. This is so apropos for our day and age, where the church is feeling pressure in these areas. We're going to dive into more about Pergamum's compromise today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Revelation 2, we're going to look at Pergamum's compromise tonight. Pergamum's compromise. So compromise is an interesting word to think about because it can have some different connotations. In one sense, compromise is a positive thing. If you can find a middle ground, for example, with your spouse, uh, marriage is about compromise. I'm sure you've probably noticed. So, you know, if you look up in a dictionary, compromise, it has the idea of meeting someone halfway. It has the idea of, you know, kind of looking out for the best uh, in others. A happy medium, if you will. Bringing resolve to an issue by talking about it and, and compromising on both sides. But compromise also has a negative connotation, and this is what it would mean. It's making concessions to things that you ought not compromise with. For example, sin. You never compromise with sin. Because if you give sin an inch, it will become the ruler in your life, right? You don't meet the devil halfway ever. You don't try to nibble on his dangling carrots because if you nibble on his dangling carrots, they won't give you better eyesight. They will blind you because there's poison inside, right? So compromise in that sense has a negative uh, connotation and that's what we're going to talk about in terms of the church at Pergamum tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, for each precious soul that's come or will listen to this later, we're just so grateful to be together again. We're grateful to be in your word. Your word is a sharp sword. The Bible tells us that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from your sight. Everything is naked and open before the one to whom we must give an account. And what's amazing about those verses is it leads right in to the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ who is on our side. And even though you know everything and you see everything and you do discipline the ones that you love, yet at the same time you're our high priest on our side, ever living to intercede for your people. And sometimes what we need is your sword to go deep into our hearts, Lord, to do some spiritual surgery so we might be better, so we might heal in areas where we're just not right. So we just pray that you would bless our time and lead us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So there's going to be a progression to the middle three letters that we're going to look at in the book of Revelation. Here's how it works, and this is from uh, James Hamilton's commentary on Revelation. He says, The first of the three middle letters to Pergamum addresses a church that holds to false teaching, but they are not explicitly rebuked for false teaching and sexual immorality, although I would add that they're called to repent. 
The second of the three is Thyatira. It's rebuke for tolerating Jezebel. We'll talk about her in a, in a message ahead of us. Who teaches the Lord's servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food offered to idols. The third of the middle letters is to Sardis, addressing a church that is dead. This is what Hamilton says, and it's insightful. He says, do you know how a church dies? I would suggest a hint here. It starts with false teaching, which leads to idolatry and immorality, and which kills the church. So it starts with a teaching. It starts with someone imbibing a false teaching, receiving a false teaching, saying, oh, that sounds pretty good. In our culture now, there is a false teaching afoot, and it comes in different ways, but here's what's going on right now. We are laxing our standards. Teaching doctrine is extremely important because what you understand doctrinally is bound to come out in your behavior. So when we're talking about teaching the Bible, we're talking about wanting to get the truth into us so that the truth would set us free. But in some cases, in order to be free, we need some spiritual surgery, right? Sometimes we need the word of God to cut us deep in the heart so that God can do his surgery and redirect us where we need to be. And that's not always comfortable. So here's the problem. If you go to a feel-good church and look, I know none of us want to pick a feel-bad church. You know, we don't, we don't want to go, hey, let's find a church in the city where we can feel really bad. Maybe their sign will even say that. Come here and you'll feel horrible about yourself, right? Yeah, sounds wonderful. But look, if you're only told what you want to hear, then you may never hear what you need to hear. And I'm sure you've noticed that when you go through the Bible, most of it is not comfortable. <laughs> In fact, I'm amazed that, you know, as many of you show up as you do on these nights, because we kind of know what's coming when these letters are written to the churches. I told you that there's only a couple of churches that get off the hook, that there's no rebuke. And then there's five of the seven churches get some, some form of rebuke. Of course, they get commended as well. What was the problem of the church in Pergamum? They were flirting with evil. They lived in a culture that was just a cesspool of evil. And in the ancient world in, where Pergamum was situated, they were situated right in the middle of a culture that looked something like this. These are ruins in, uh, uh, of ancient Pergamum now sitting in modern-day Turkey. And this is a picture of a theater on a high Acropolis. And Pergamon was known by Pliny the, the, the Younger, who was a Roman writer, as the jewel of Asia Minor. It was an incredible city, and it was incredible for the sake that it had all of these magnificent buildings and structures, some of which uh, you can even look at today. This is an aerial view of what was on the, this Acropolis. And whenever you hear the word Acropolis, it means an elevated city. And so this, this city was sitting high up on the hill. Often these cities were situated this way because they were a, a good defense against invading armies. This is a model of what the Acropolis would have looked like, and it would have many areas that were dedicated to false gods and goddesses. And so um, this is one of the pictures where uh, in a lot of these cities, if not all of them, you'll find some sort of sacred way that leads up to a, a worship area. And many of these are preserved. And so these were uh, walkways that led up to areas where there were pagan practices going on. Up on top of this Acropolis in ancient Pergamum was a, a second century um, structure that was dedicated to Trajan, the emperor. 
And apparently it was constructed in his time. And this is a reconstructed look at it. So they, they've done some reconstruction on this, but they had a lot of uh, different uh, things that were up there. This is a, uh, an area that leads to call a, a temple that was dedicated to the god Asclepius or Asclepium. And he was the goddess or the god actually of healing. And people would come to Pergamum from all over the world and they would go into the temple of Asclepius and they would look for healing. A famous doctor was born here in the second century AD and people would come to him to get medical advice. But they, they would say that this was a combination of spiritual and medical. So you would have some practitioners of uh, you know, doctor types. Remember, Luke was a doctor way back in the first century. But they would also combine it with a spiritual type of uh, what they said was a healing. Asclepius was uh, denoted by the uh, object of a serpent or a snake. In fact, the medical insignia today of a serpent wrapped around a pole comes from the ancient idea of this God of healing. And people would enter down these sacred ways. They would come from all over the world. They would enter into the temple of Asclepius. And what would happen is that they would have snakes roaming through the temple. Non-poisonous, by the way. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that the, this God, this ancient healing God, is represented by a serpent. So if you're a Christian... In Pergamum, what are you going to think of when you see the, this temple to Asclepion or Asclepios? You're going to think of the devil. And people who are in need of healing, and look, we all go through a fallen world and we get various troubles with our body and that kind of thing. And the ancients were no different than us. The devil said of Job, skin for skin, all a man, all a man has will he give in exchange for his life. And so we have this drive for survival. And so people can get desperate and they want to do all kinds of things. And, you know, we, we hear of people selling their soul to the devil for fame and fortune. Well, how, how about for healing? And so people would go into these places with the hope of coming out healed. And this was, uh, you know, captured by the symbol of a serpent or a snake. In the ancient world, there were some stone cutters in this area. And there's a, there's a, a record from some historians that Christian stone cutters in the area refused to uh, cut the stone to make the shape of that God and they were executed for it. Not easy to be a Christian in this area of the world. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Not easy to be a Christian in this area of the world. There are all kinds of pagan temples, all kinds of pagan gods. This is one to an Egyptian god of the underworld. 
These are some white stones of what people think that they may represent. And this is um, one of the main things that this area is known for, and it's depicting a battle between the gods of the Greek pantheon. And there was an altar nearby here called the altar to Zeus, who was the chief of the gods. And this altar to Zeus overlooked or looked down from the Acropolis, and Zeus was the chief of the gods. And so people who were in this area would be exposed to this kind of thing, and it's, uh, I think, almost 500 feet across in a, you know, quite extravagant detail, and much of it is preserved today. Interestingly enough, many of these artifacts was moved to Berlin, Germany in 1930, and uh, the... This area was come to, came to be known as the place where Satan dwells or where Satan's throne is. And many of the artifacts ended up in Berlin, Germany, in 1930, just before the rise of guess who? Adolf Hitler. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And so let's take a look at how the letter opens. This is... Um, the letter to the church at Pergamum. It says, Revelation 2.12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword uh, or the long sword of judgment says this. So I want to take you back. Um, I'm going to get us back to the original slide that my beautiful wife put together. And uh, this is the one who addresses the church. He's the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. When I opened in prayer, I mentioned to you that the word of God is sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Jesus Christ wields a sword. In the ancient world of Pergamum, it was said that one of the things that they did in this area is that they erected um, uh, temples to the Roman emperors. And one of the things that the Christians were especially dealing with is what scholars call the imperial cult. So even though you had a great altar to Zeus and Asclepion and those kinds of false gods, the biggest problem in Pergamum was that the emperors were being worshipped. And there was a great temple uh, to one of the emperors named Augustus, who it was completed around 29 BC. And then they erected a second one in the second century to Trajan. And here's what would happen. They would have the festivals to the emperors, and they would say, you must make the sacrifice to the emperor and acknowledge the emperor as some sort of god. This was a huge problem for the Christians, in, of course, in the first and uh, ongoing centuries. And so they would have to deal with this, and they would have to deal with the power of the sword. And Rome had given the power of the sword to the governor of this area. So the governor of Pergamum, if you weren't on board with what was happening in this a part of the world. And think of all the things that are going on. There's an altar to Zeus, one of the seven wonders of the world. There's a temple to Asclepion. There's a temple to uh, the wine god Bacchus or Dionysius. There's all this pagan stuff going on. There's emperor worship going on. And you live here as a Christian. Very difficult. And they had the power of the sword. That is to say, the governor of Pergamum was given the power of life and death. And if you didn't obey, you could pay with your life just like many of our brethren are facing in the Middle East even today. If they don't go with the program of what's being taught in some of those areas, it's, it can be very brutal. So the angel of the church is addressed, probably the lead pastor here, or the leading elder or bishop in Pergamum. 
And the one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. I think Jesus is reminding them the one who has the ultimate sword is Jesus, right? Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill your body, and after that he has no power over you. Fear him who can destroy or ruin your soul and cast it into the deepest part of Hades, Matthew 10, 28. So that's who we should fear, but we often fear the wrong thing because we have self-preservation in us, of course. And so this is what the Christians were facing. This area of Pergamum, uh, I've heard some scholars say the word means married. I've heard other scholars say it means citadel, which would fit well with its location. It was 60 miles north of Smyrna along that postal route that we've been looking at. It contained a huge library said to have more than 200,000 parchment scrolls. People came to this area of Pergamum seeking knowledge. Indeed, our word parchment is derived from the, this name, Pergamum. And so um, legend says that parchment or vellum was invented by the Pergamenes, the paper called Pergamenia, to provide writing material for the great library. So you have an Acropolis rising 1,300 feet above the lower city, and people are coming out from all over the world to gain knowledge, to get healing, to worship Zeus, to worship the emperors. And guess who they would run into the, in these cities? They'd run into Christians. And what were Christians saying? There's one God, and his name is Jesus. Don't worship these false gods. And they would start to witness in the city. And guess what? Not everybody liked what they had to say. So they were getting negative attention. And the power of the sword was hanging over them, what's called eus gladi in the Latin. And so the Christians were facing all of this difficulty, all of this paganism, not unlike our culture today. If you're a Christian, you are definitely going to be swimming against the tide. I'm sure you have noticed. All it takes for you to go with the culture is just basically float because any dead fish can float downstream, and that's pretty much where the culture is going. The culture is redefining everything that's sacred. I'm sure you've noticed marriage and sexuality and even male and female, everything's being attacked. Things that we took for granted is being attacked. People would come into this area and they would also have a chance to worship a false god who was known as Dionysius. He was the son of Zeus. He was supposed to be born in some supernatural way through a god and a, and a human mom. Sound familiar? The devil's a counterfeiter and that's what he does. So people would come to the temple of Dionysius and they would get drunk. And in getting drunk, this is how they were supposed to become one with the god or the goddess. So in order to go to Dionysius's temple, you just knocked back about however many glasses of wine it took. You got drunk. They said people would gorge on raw meat and then they would go into this temple to be one with the god. Have you ever met somebody who says, dude, when I get high, I can be closer to God. I'm sorry. That's an old lie. In fact, that idea is captured in a Greek word called pharmakia, where we get the idea of a pharmacy or drug use. That's not how you get in touch with God. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine. That's a waste. Be filled with what? The Spirit. And so people would come here and, and they would kind of lose their minds in this city and the Christians were facing all of this kind of stuff. In Revelation 19, flip over there for a second, Jesus is depicted as holding the sword. We saw that in Revelation 1 as well as a sharp sword comes out of his mouth. But in Revelation 19, look at verse 15. 
Revelation 19.15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule them, Revelation 19.15, with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. He is what? King of kings. And he is Lord of lords. In chapter 1, verse 18, he holds the keys, if you go back to chapter 2, of death and Hades. So Jesus, I think, is reminding this church not to fear the one who can only deal with your body, but to fear the ultimate judge and to give allegiance to him. Jesus says to this church, chapter 2, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness or my martus, we'll talk about him in a second, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, if you read commentaries on the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of conjecture about the throne of Satan. What does this mean? Did Satan literally set up shop here? Is this where he dwells? Does he dwell in Pergamum or modern uh, Turkey? What does this mean? And so people have said, well, maybe this is captured in the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the Greek god Zeus, who was overseeing the city. Maybe Satan's throne, being in Pergamum, is captured by the Greek god Asclepion, the god of healing, represented by the serpent. And others would say, no, maybe Satan's throne is in Pergamum because that's where all the emperor worship is going on and all this idolatry. But maybe it's a combination of everything that was happening in Pergamum. Amen. Maybe it's the fact that Satan had indeed set up shop in that neighborhood. And, you know, sometimes we we hear people say, you know, I don't live in a very good neighborhood. Well, try living in Pergamum. Try living in a place where Jesus says, you live where Satan dwells. Some of you may think that that's your neighborhood. I don't know. Maybe you think Lucifer is your next door neighbor. I don't know. Well, I certainly hope that Satan is not your neighbor, but I'll tell you, on a serious note, some people do live in some very dark areas, and you know there is satanic influence, and there are people who are under some really dark situations because of doors they've opened in their lives, and boy, we need to pray for our neighbors and shine the light of the gospel, and you know, in most situations, Americans are going on with their business, and Maybe in a lot of cases, we just need to remind them that, hey, they need to consider their eternity. And that's a lot of what Revelation is all about. Well, hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. I'm Pastor Michael Lance. And the purpose of this ministry, Walk in Truth, is to equip you with God's Word. We are dissecting the Bible verse by verse, breaking it down, uh, applying it to today's issues, trends, culture, our own personal walks with Jesus Christ, our service to the King and His kingdom. Now, you can listen to this teaching today and many others that we've done in the past when you visit our website at walkintruth.com. Walk in Truth is also on your favorite podcast app, so please subscribe today. You'll get heads up when a new program is coming, and it's a great way to continue to deepen your walk with Jesus. Now, just so you know, Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship, a great church here in the city of Corona. I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor. And I'd love for you to come out if you're available, and I hope you are, this coming Sunday. We have two services at 9. The second is at 11.15 a.m. And just a reminder, if you've been away for a while, there is no substitute for fellowship. 
And, you know, if you come on out to a church service, it's not just Pastor Michael preaching. There's a lot of other things going on. Of course, there's incredible worship that happens. There's fellowship. There's a donut. If you want a donut, we can we can arrange that. I can even sacrifice my maple bar for you, okay? That's how much we want you to come on in. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's awesome people. Just being part of corporate worship and Bible study is powerful. You know, I taught a study last week that says that even the angels have some involvement in our worship. That's incredible. That's significant. It's deep that the angels gather with us as we worship the Lord corporately. Just think about that for a second. We take going to church so lightly as though it was going to a place to almost check in sometimes. No, man, this is about corporate worship of our God. Man, much more could be said, but hey, come on out this Sunday. I'd love to meet you and your family. It's Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God in the city of Corona. It's 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Learn more when you click the Visit tab at walkintruth.com. Or you can download our free Living Truth app in the App Store. You'll know it by the red logo with the pillars, representing the pillar of truth. Well, tune in again on Thursday as we continue to talk about Pergamum's Compromise and how too many major denominations are compromising sadly with today's culture and views a lot of compromise going on how can we shield our lives from it how can we be those who stand for the truth in loving compassion we'll find out more about that tomorrow on walk in truth we'll see you then thanks for listening to walk in truth encouraging you to reach out with god's truth to all people